Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be uh, starting in verse 5, and we are going to go through an amazing 11 verses this morning. Uh, we're going to just kind of move at a pace that has been unheard of of the last couple weeks. So, But listen... This last Wednesday, we were looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. We looked at Jesus in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. So we did 150 chapters on Wednesday. Um, obviously, we didn't read every verse. Uh, but I figured we hit the average if we do the balance between what we do on Wednesdays and what we do on Sundays. We kind of hit a nice average pace here. But this morning, 11 verses, Matthew 10, verses 5 through verse 15. I heard that wildly. I heard that. Um <laughs> God didn't give me gigantic ears for no reason. Okay, so uh, if you don't make fun of yourself, somebody else is. So you might as well beat him to the punch. Okay, so um, Jesus in his public ministry, three years, three years of public ministry, Jesus thought it was so important to prepare people for ministry that he spent half of his public ministry, a year and a half, preparing these 12 apostles. He took that much time because it takes time to prepare people. It's not just a simple, okay, well, just go out there and you'll just sort it all out. He ended up preparing them and now he's launching them out. Jesus is going to direct them to go and preach the gospel. Now the gospel, you've probably heard about the gospel, especially if you're a Christian, but the gospel can sometimes be locked into a church building in some people's minds. Oh, well, you want to hear about the gospel? You come to church. But Jesus is saying, no, no, they didn't have church buildings back then. Jesus says, you're going to take the gospel and go out there. And so we're going to look at how Jesus instructs them and, and what they're empowered to do as they go out. And we're going to learn some principles from Jesus sending them out. So the title of this morning's message is Live the Gospel. Matthew 10, verse 5 is where we'll start. And let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, we've been seeing, Jesus, how you want us to be a part of the work. You want us to be involved. And so this morning, I pray that as we read these words, as we hear them, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would stir some things up in each one of us. That we would ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do with what we've just heard? I pray that for myself as well. God, thank you so much for where we live. Thank you so much for how you've blessed us. We don't want to ever take that for granted. And Lord, we also don't want to ever take all of that for ourselves because it's not all for ourselves. Lord, help us always keep a light touch on the things of this world so that we would be free to give our overflow and abundance to all those around that are so in need. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you gave us huh, the overflow and the abundance of your love and your grace. And God, you're really generous. You gave us your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Matthew chapter 10. Let's start at verse 5. Let's read all these verses through here. Follow along. Matthew 10, verse 5. The twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town, no town of the Samaritans, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, 
no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So there's a lot of stuff in this passage right here. And Jesus is sending them out. I think it's important as we look at this that these disciples, these now, they've been given the title of apostles. These 12 are being sent out into the Galilee region, their local area, if you will. And as they're being sent out, something that's very important for us to realize is that they are not picking where they go. Sometimes when we say, God, can you please use me? And uh, God, here's my top three. I'd really like Hawaii. Like if you want to send me to Hawaii, that'd be great. Or, you know, if it'd be, you know, and just catch your list. And, and then maybe it's a long list. And maybe at the bottom, you're just like, and then there's Humboldt County, Lord. And, and uh, maybe for you, Humboldt County isn't the bottom of your list, but something's at the bottom of your list. And so as you make requests to the Lord, you make your requests, which you're allowed to do. And of course, they're going to be the ones at the top of your list. Nobody prays, God, send me to the stuff at the bottom of my list. But if we look here in this passage, the apostles aren't the ones picking their destinations. Jesus is. Jesus is saying, I want you to go here. I want you to go there. And I think we need to realize this is, can we make requests to God? Yes, we can. And you should. But when you clearly hear God speak to you, stop making requests. Because your king has spoken. Your savior has spoken. He's directing you. He heard your request. He has rejected your request. Because that's an option. Things can be accepted or rejected. And sometimes I've given God plenty of requests and he's just like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, Jim. No, I want you to go to Arcata. My wife and I made, made a promise that we wouldn't cross the dotted line on that map. You know, the one between Arizona and California. Like, that's not what we want. We, no, no. You know, what, what made it a yes? Jesus going, go. I heard your requests. I heard all your requests. Go. Okay. See, at that point, you don't make any more requests. You follow. You go do what the Lord is telling you. And so, don't be surprised then if God sends you to places that are unlikely or you never planned. Because you're not the one sending yourself. God is sending you. And he will send you to the places that he knows you need to go. Well, it's not, I'm not going to be comfortable there. I don't know anybody else there. All my friends are going in the opposite direction. All you need to be concerned about is where Jesus is going. Which direction is he going and where is he leading you? Go there. So as Jesus is directing them, these men found themselves all throughout that Galilee region and spreading outwards. I'm sure that they were sent into certain places that they would not have chosen themselves. Maybe today you find yourself going, I wouldn't have chosen to be in the place that I'm in right now. Okay. But here's a possibility that you should consider that God has chosen your place for you. And that instead of you fighting it, and instead of you continually making requests of God to change it, 
Maybe the prayer changes to God, how do you want to use me right where you already have me? The other thing that we see here with uh, Jesus sending them out, and Matthew doesn't give us an exhaustive description of the sending out process. We look at some of the other Gospels. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. It'll be on the screen here. Mark gives us this little information that I think is really important. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Two by two. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. So they didn't go out alone. Jesus is not sending people out Lone Ranger. Hey, I want you to do something. Go by yourself. Nope. He's sending them out in a team. Two people at a time. You two go this way. You two go that way. And here's the thing. I don't think this is like um, playground, uh, you know, choosing teams. Or something in like a kid's classroom where it's like, okay, everybody pair up. Oh no, I got to find somebody really quick because I don't want to get left with the people that I don't want to be left with. Oh, come on. We've all done it. Jesus, I don't think he's giving them a choice as to who they're serving with. I think Jesus is going, you and you go there. And they're both looking at each other going, what? You? Oh, okay, fine. (laughs) Some of the pairing, and we don't know this for certain, but I wouldn't put this beyond Jesus, that Jesus would have taken the patriot of the group. His name was Simon the Zealot. He was a patriotic, nationalistic person, which meant before he came to know Jesus, he would be the one that was, you know, uh, yes, he would be the one that's like, it's, it's all about the Jewish people. And the person of the 12 disciples that, that Simon the Zealot, before he knew Christ, would have hated the most, would have been the writer of this gospel, Matthew. Because Matthew was a turncoat tax collector working for the Roman government, the oppressor. See, Jesus brings people together that if it wasn't for Jesus, they would be at odds or even enemies to one another. I wouldn't be surprised if Simon would have knifed Matthew in an alley and left him for dead. But here they are going out two by two. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus was like, Matthew, Simon, you guys together. And for them to look at each other and go, you know, Simon would be like, dude, I would have killed you before, before we knew Jesus. But hey, let's go do this together. God puts the most unlikely people together. Pastor Joe has already uh, stepped out. He's uh, getting ready for this afternoon's ministry at the care home. But, uh, you know, that, that, I mean, yeah, Pastor Joe and I as pastors here at the church, that makes sense, right? That's that, we're about the same age. Oh, wait, no. We have the same background. No. We're the same height. No. We're a little different. And yet God's the one who puts these together, these things together. I want to encourage you, when God puts you together with somebody else to serve and you're going, oh, I wouldn't have picked them, don't fight it. Because God's put them in your life to antagonize you? No, to cause you to grow. The benefits of going two by two, there's a lot of benefits, but here's a few of them. Accountability. It doesn't take much going out and God using you in a way or you serving people or you doing a good job, right? To where all of a sudden you start to believe your own press and that's dangerous. I'm doing really, I am so, I'm doing such a good job. Sometimes you need somebody else there to knock your hand away and be like, dude, stop. It's God that's doing the work. Like, chill. It's all right. It's not all about you. Hey, don't let it go to your head, my friend. It's good to have another person around to keep us accountable because all of us can be susceptible to wandering in our thoughts, in our motivations. And so it's good to have other people around to just keep us in check. Woe to the person that doesn't have other people around to help them be accountable. Because they find themselves off 
And it doesn't take very long. Here's another benefit of going two by two. Encouragement. Because you know how it is. Some days you're just going, I'm not feeling it today. In fact, I'm, not, I'm just, no, not today. Not today. I, I'm, not, I'm not motivated. I'm not, I just feel depressed today. I just, no, forget it. That's where having another person around helps. The Bible says two are better than one because when one falls down, he has another one to pick him up. Hey, we're all going to have days where we're just down on the ground. We're all going to have days where we're just going to go, what's the point? And at that moment, wouldn't you know it, God brings another believer into your life and is like, isn't this an amazing day? Isn't God just so great? Possibilities. And you're just going, thank you, Lord. I needed that. They may annoy you, but you know they're right. And you know, with this type of pairing of more than one person going out, guess what? The roles will be flipped eventually. Everybody has their down days. Everybody has their days where they're just like, I can't do it. And God will have you be the encourager. We'll be like, come on, come on. Oh, come on. Let's go. It's going to be great. You'll be fine. Come on. Let's just get go. Go, go, go. Let's do this together. Another benefit of Jesus sending them out two by two is you can cover weaknesses. Because not everybody has strengths in every area. A person who does has an issue with um, delusion <laughs> because uh, it's not reality. Everybody has areas of weakness. And so I wouldn't be surprised if God put people that weren't similar together so that their strengths, the where one person is weak, the other person is strong. And they would be covered. That's why I think God puts people that are so different together because there's a perspective that another person that has a different background can come to and they look at things and you benefit from it because you go, I never looked at it that way. We see this in marriages often where you see, well, how come husbands and wives aren't always on the same page thinking the exact same way? Because they all both have weaknesses and God's using both of them to cover each other. And so when it comes to these spiritual gifts or thinking, things like that, maybe one of the two that goes out, they're better at teaching. They're better at preaching. They're better at um, the, the public aspect of the ministry. But the other person is better at administration, hospitality, and all of those things. Those are all important as well. You know, here at the church, it's absolutely a work of the Lord, what God's been doing here at the Teleos Christian Fellowship. And this pastor has so many blind spots. Well, Jim, what are they? I don't know because they're blind spots, right? That's the thing about blind spots. You need other people to tell you what your blind spots are. The person that's like, I know all my blind spots, then they're not blind spots. No, you actually need somebody else to tell you. And then what you should do is you should pray, Lord, who are you going to bring to help cover the areas that I'm weak at? At this church, um, God has given me a gift to teach. He's given me this gifting and it's He gets the honor and the glory for it. He has not given me the gift of administration. It's not a strong gift of mine. So you know what God did? God brought other people around that have that gift. And you should be thanking the Lord that God did do that. You know, some of the, one of the areas in, at this church that I don't have to um, be involved in when it comes to the minutia is the finances of our church. So you know, I don't know what any of you gives. I don't, nor do I want to. All I know, actually I do know what, what one person gives in this room, me. And I know weekly overall what the giving of the church is at and I know what the bills are and we pay our bills and we do all those things, right? 
But I don't know what any individual gives. Why? Because, well, a couple of reasons. One, I don't want uh, the way I interact with people to be affected by that. Well, Jim, you wouldn't be inter- affected by that. I'm a human being. Come on. Everybody has their own things, right? So it's great because it's like, Lord, could you bring people that would take care of that? Yes, God brought people that, and guess what? They have the gift of that. They like spreadsheets. They like Excel. They like boxes and numbers and all that stuff. That's not me. Thank you, Lord, that you bring other people with differing gifts together because that's how God does it. You know, if you look at the bulletin, just look at the back of the bulletin and just for us to give glory to the Lord of how good he is. You look at the back of the bulletin at the very bottom, in the bottom corner, we're forecasting for the month of November. What this means is as of the budget that was made earlier in the year, we are of this week, our income is at 117% of where we thought we would be by this time this year. So we're 17% above what we had budgeted with income coming in. And our expenses, we've spent 56.6% of what we thought we would be spending by this time this year. This is not any part of this pastor or any of his gifts. It is of God using people who have gifts to be able to organize all this stuff. And that, I just want you to see, like when it comes to any work of the Lord, God brings people with diverse gifts together. I think sometimes there's this this push where church should look the same. Everybody should be the same. I don't think so. I look at the disciples. That's not what I see. I'm so thankful for the diversity of ethnicities, ages, and backgrounds that are represented at the Telios Christian Fellowship. I've been asked, how does this happen? And the answer, as if there's some like um, program to make this happen, God does it. And so, well, maybe we should make everybody, you know, maybe we should, everybody here should look the same, be of the same financial background, have the same, oh, that'd be a horrible thing. That'd be a horrible thing. It'd be like a church full of people like me. I'd drive myself nuts. I'm so thankful for the diversity. I'm so thankful for how God brings people that I never would have thought of to put in my life. And then I'm blessed by the people God's brought into my life. Are you pushing people away that God is saying, I brought them to you, let them in? You know, Jesus says something very interesting here as he's sending out these 12. He says in verse 5, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Whoa, what is this? Is this for Jews only? This is where some of these things that Jesus is saying to these apostles, they don't apply to us exactly this way. Because he specifically told them not to go to non-Jews. He told them not to go to Samaritans, which were uh, Jews that intermarried with Gentiles. So wait, is this xenophobia? Xenophobia, the fear or distrust of those that are foreigners or strangers. Is this Jesus showing xenophobia? Like, oh no, this is only a Jewish thing. This is not for anybody else. No, clearly it's not. It's an order of things. Jesus is saying, first we're going to go to the Jewish people. But is Jesus going to open it up to the whole world? Absolutely. You see this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So clearly, the gospel is for everyone. But at this particular moment in the ministry, Jesus was saying, it's going to go first to the Jew. Why first to the Jew? Well, Jesus is Jewish. God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament and made a promise to him. 
And so the revelation of who God is came to the Jewish people in a very powerful way. So God says, I want them to know first. They're not more important than anybody else. They're not like people that, oh, well, the Jewish people are way up here and this we, us Gentiles, me anyway as a Gentile, I'm just down here. No, it's not this partiality. It's all about this order. Chronologically, he wants to reach the Jewish people to let them know first, but it's going to get expanded to everybody. There's many verses in the Bible that talk about this concept of the Jew first and then the Gentile as far as order goes. Uh, Romans 2 verse 9 through 11. This is about people who do things that are wrong and people who do things that are right. There's consequences, right? Look at this. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Every, you know, you do evil, there's a payday. But who gets the payday? The Jew first, whoa, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Consequences for doing good the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So it's not an issue of one being better than another. It's simply the order of things of how God does it. And we see that throughout the Bible. I'm just really glad that I'm in that list. I'm just really glad that I get to be there too. And Jesus, as he's saying, he goes, don't go amongst the Gentiles. Don't go there right now. But rather, verse 6, go to the lost sheep of the house of of Israel. He already tells you their spiritual condition. The people, the children, the Jewish people are lost. They're spiritually lost. God loved the Jewish people so much that he sent prophets to them to tell them that they were lost. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah wrote this to the Jewish people. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That's definitely prophetic about Jesus coming. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. But Isaiah was speaking the first time that that was written, that was written to the Jewish people. All we like sheep have strayed away. Now us as Christians, we can look at this and go, yeah, I've I've accepted the Lord and there have been times where I've, I've gone the wrong direction. Jesus is going this way and I'm going that way. And so we can use verses like this and go, Isaiah, I get where you're coming from because I as a Christian understand. And that's great. We can definitely use these verses and, and it can encourage us that God's calling us back to him. But we always need to remember that this verse was written to the Jew first. You know, as you look at these verses, there's another prophet God used, Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. This guy, Jeremiah, his heart was broken. He wrote this in Jeremiah 50 verse 6. My people were lost sheep. Their shepherds led them astray. They abandoned them in the mountains where they wandered aimlessly through the hills. They lost track of home. Couldn't remember where they came from. God gave Jeremiah these words. It's God calling out. It's God inviting, come back home. Come back to me. And so the people that these apostles are going to be speaking to, the Jewish people, they are spiritually lost. I wonder what they're going to say to these people when they see them. Verse 7, Matthew chapter 10, and proclaim as you go, this is what Jesus says they're supposed to say, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That phrase is no new phrase. Of course, they would say more than just those few words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They would expand on that, but that's the, the Cliff Notes version of what they're sharing. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus doesn't ask his followers to do something he's not willing to do. So what did Jesus first start preaching? After Jesus was baptized, John the baptizer was there, Jesus was baptized, and then Jesus starts his three years of public ministry. What's the first thing Jesus does after he's baptized? 
Well, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We were looking at this a few months ago. From that time, meaning after he was baptized, Jesus began to preach. I wonder what Jesus would preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, God isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't done first. Jesus is not going to lead us someplace that he hasn't gone first. And so if you find yourself in a difficult situation, just know Jesus understands. He understands. He went through it. I love this about Jesus. He's not like um, somebody driving cattle. Cattle, you drive them from the rear. You're not like, you know, in front. Sheep, you lead from the front. And so Jesus is in front of us going, follow me. This is the way we need to go. We're not being driven. We're not like guinea pigs or lemmings going off some cliff. And so Jesus tells that we're supposed to, it says Jesus began to preach. My ESV Bible in Matthew chapter um, 10, it says proclaim these things, right? What does the word proclaim mean? It's a really important word. Proclaim. Proclaim is the English word that's used there, but it's a Greek word. Keruso. Keruso. What does the Greek word keruso mean? It means to herald as a public crier. Think of those medieval movies. Hear ye, hear ye. The king says, you know, the person pulls out the scroll, goes to the town square and starts reading what the king has to say. That's what proclaiming or keruso means. It means to be a herald, to, to announce something. It means especially divine truth, like the gospel. Hear ye, hear ye, the king has come. Hear ye, hear ye, the king has come to save you. How is this Greek word keruso translated into English? Here's a few words, preach or preacher, proclaim or publish. So these are some of the ways that that word keruso is is used in our English Bibles. And I want to focus on that first word preach there, right? Some people, I've heard them say this. I've heard them say this. They're like, you know, I, I, don't want to be, I don't want to be preachy. And I think they've got their definitions and their words confused. Because I think what they mean is, I don't want to be pushy. I think that's what they mean. When they're like, hey, when I talk to people about Jesus, I don't want to be preachy. But I think what they mean is, I don't want to be pushy. But preach doesn't mean push. Preach means you're proclaiming. I had somebody, I mean, this has happened a few times where people are like, hey, Jim, I really appreciate how you, you teach the word, but you know, you're not like, you're not like too preachy. And I'm like, I hope I'm preachy. I hope I'm, pre- I hope I'm telling you the gospel. I don't want to be pushy, uh, if that's what you mean. And I, I get, I think that's what most people mean when they say I don't want to be preachy, but they're using the wrong word. Because here's the thing, Christian, you should be preachy. You should be telling people the truth. Because not being a person who preaches or tells the truth means you know the truth and you hold it to yourself. No, you should preach. There's a world of people that are dying not knowing the truth. And if the people who know the truth don't share it, what would that say about us? I really pray that when I'm here, I'm preaching. Because some people, they're good teachers, but if I was just purely to teach this morning... Well, historically speaking, this is the time period of when these things happen. There's 12 guys um, and uh, they were in this area and we just go, okay, and this is our history lesson for today. And there we go. All right, well, let's have a great time and let's sing a song and go team Jesus. Have a great day. We need preaching. We need preaching. Do we need teaching? Yes. Teaching helps you understand the background of what you're reading. But preaching is telling people the truth of who Jesus is. Christians are called to preach. So preach. And the message, well, wait a second. 
you know, well, what am I going to tell people? You don't have to make up the message. How cool is this? You just say, tell them the message of the king. Remember that herald in the town square? The herald in the town square is not like, hear ye, hear ye. You know what? I got some stuff I want to tell you guys. No, the herald reads what the king says. Oh, so what's a Christian supposed to do? You just tell people what the king said. You tell people what Jesus said. You're not making something up. It's not your message. It's not my message. It's God's message. All you're supposed to do is be a vessel that God can use to share the message with. And the thing is, when you share the message, don't, don't tweak it. Like, don't mess with God's message. Oh, that's not going to be socially acceptable to share. It's not very popular in our country, so I think I'll skip that verse. Read what God said. You know, we live in this world with technology, and technology is great when it works, and it's not great when it doesn't work. Take texting and autocorrecting, for example. How many of us have been swiping or tapping and just going, and you hit send, and then you read? And you're like, no, 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 no. For example, this text message from a mom to her daughter. How's my pregnant daughter doing? Question mark. The daughter responds back, how did you know? The mom, I meant perfect daughter. Wait, what? Autocorrect, gotta love it. So, God doesn't want you to try to autocorrect what the Word says. It doesn't need any correction. The Bible doesn't need a 21st century revision. God, if He's God, He's God over all time and space. It means He understood how the world would be today in 2018. It is not our responsibility, nor it is our right to change God's Word. Are there consequences to changing God's Word? Yes, there are. Christian, you're called to relate God's message, not to change it. So, are we called to make it understandable to the people that we speak to? Yes. You would relate the gospel differently to a kids' ministry class, a church, than you would to a college class, a college speech class. I've done it in both environments, and I have to tell you that I approached it different, I presented it differently in both of those environments. Because you have to look at the people you're speaking to and you have to say it in a way that they would understand it, but you never change the message. You know, if you've been given the gospel and you're a Christian, you've been given the gospel. You, you know the good news. That's how you're saved. Guess what? You're entrusted with it now. Paul wrote this to this church in an area called Thessalonica. He wrote this in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... Okay, so we, we've been approved by God to know the good news. What are we supposed to do with it? Nothing. No. So we speak. Not to please man. I'm going to say something so the hearer is really tickled and they really enjoy what's being said. No, but to please God who tests our hearts. Christian, you and I have been given the gospel. We've been entrusted. That's a strong word. That means the gospel is a valuable thing that we've been entrusted with here. To do what? I'm going to bury it in a hole and do nothing with it. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. You were entrusted so that you could share it. Every Christian is called to preach. Every Christian is called to preach. Wherever you go, for these, for these apostles here, so they're, they're heading out here, wherever they go, they're supposed to take the gospel with them. They're supposed to live the gospel. So whether you're a mechanic, or a mother, or a physician, or a physicist, or a business owner, or an employee, or unemployed, 
wherever you go or anything else, Christian, wherever you go, you are supposed to take the gospel with you wherever you go. Wait a second. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to what? show up at work and be like, hey, listen, God says, no, do your job. Do your job well. Work hard. And pray for opportunities for the gospel to be shared. See, sometimes people are like, well, preaching, preaching happens behind a pulpit or a music stand to a bunch of people. No, you know what? Most preaching happens and it doesn't come from behind a pulpit. It comes from across a lunch table. It comes from across a living room. Uh, it comes from across a break room at work or a coworker's desk. Most of the preaching that gets done in this world doesn't happen inside churches. And see, I think if we go, wait, it's because you've locked the word preaching into a preacher and you think a preacher is a pastor only and you don't realize that you are called to preach the word. You're called to preach the word wherever you find yourself. Here's a sentence that I want you to listen in and key in on. I think this is important. Your job isn't supposed to be separated from the gospel. Whatever you do or don't do, well, I'm unemployed right now, whatever that time is then, is never supposed to be separated from the gospel. It's not like, oh, I've got, it's, I'm in church mode right now because I'm in church, but then once I go outside the you know, doors of this building, I've got to you know, survive the world, so I've got to just do... No. You live the gospel. The gospel goes wherever you go, Christian. You're supposed to look for opportunities. So how do I share this at work? Like, what's some practical ways? Here's what I've noticed. So the place that I was before I came here, I was in this factory, worked there for two years. And um, the thing that I noticed that would open doors with people as far as the gospel went at work, because it's just a secular workplace. There was no, like, you know, Christians or anything particularly, is, you know, you go to any workplace and you hear people that are complaining about their hardships or their... their, um, lamenting or they're suffering and they're talking about how you know their rent is late or their uh, their wife just said they wanted a divorce or their child just uh, died unexpectedly and if you're around the people of this world you're going to hear the hardship and tragedy that happens to everyone and so i would hear those things and i think at the time that i would hear those things maybe it was in the lunchroom or maybe it was just across the the workbench that I was working at and I had somebody else working on the other side and we just kind of talked through the gaps in the workbenches and we talked to each other kind of things. We we're just getting work done. Oh yeah, this happened and I just can't believe it and I don't know, you know, the cancer for my wife and it's, it's pretty serious right now. It's like, hey man, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, I'm going to be praying for your wife. I said, I just want you to know. I just go back to work. And he doesn't realize that I'm praying for his wife right now, like right then. And then as you're ministering in these areas where you don't think you're preaching, right? All of a sudden, well, time goes by. And I remember it was like maybe a month, maybe three weeks or so had gone by. And uh, this coworker hadn't mentioned anything. And I said, hey man, I said, how's your wife doing? How's your wife Gloria doing? How's the cancer? And like the look on his face, he was like, wait, how, uh, how did you remember? Well, I've been praying for her since you mentioned it to me. I've been praying for her. That's why. And I said, I just was curious, like, how is that going? And like the door, you could almost hear the hinges opening. Because a person realizes, wait a second. Like, you're not just listening to the hardships that I'm going. You actually did something with it? You remembered my wife's name? Like, I haven't talked about her in three weeks. 
I said, I've been, ta- I've been praying every day for her. Now here's the thing, you can't fake that. You actually have to be praying for people. And so wherever you find yourself, there's going to be pain and hardship and challenges with the people right around you. Whether it's the group of guys that you hang out with, maybe you're retired and there's a whole bunch of you that hang out together. Everybody's got challenges. Maybe it's a group of ladies, maybe it's a bunch of college students, maybe you're in high school. Wherever you're at, you need to have your ears open to hear what people are going through and then you need to lift them up in prayer. And when you have the opportunity to tell them that you are, tell them that you are. And when you have the opportunity to follow up, ask them, hey, how's that thing going? And don't be surprised that the doors don't open for you. And when the door opens, you know what you do at that point? You preach. Wait, I get pushy? No, pushy and preach is not the same. You tell people why you have hope. You tell people why you pray and why you think that actually makes a difference. You share things, stories that uh, how God's worked in your heart. Every one of us are called to have the gospel with us wherever we find ourselves. Last week we talked about, you know, God, show us how we can serve people, right? And I think some of us, is, you know, we were like, how do I serve people? How do I serve people? God's put people right in front of you to serve. We need to go, God, open my eyes to see the people that are right in front of me that I'm called to serve. All right, so Jesus then gives these uh, guys some amazing powers to do some very specific things, all right? Verse 8 in Matthew 10. Heal the sick. I can't do that. Raise the dead. Yeah, I can't do that. Cleanse lepers. Haven't done that. Cast out demons. Haven't done that. Like in and of myself, I don't have those powers. If the Lord chooses to give me those, that's one thing. And for the work that these guys were going to do, they needed these things. And so guess what? Jesus gave them what they needed. Wherever God sends you, he will give you what you need for where you're going. So when you show up, you're like, I don't know if I'm equipped or I'm not. God won't send you someplace without equipping you for it. And so obviously there was some heavy duty stuff going on here for Jesus to equip them in such a way. And then he says next, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. You and I need to know this. We don't serve people for our financial profit when it comes to the gospel or personal attention. Think about how rich these guys could have been. Just think about this for just a moment. I have the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. You know what? Who's the richest person in this area here? I'm going to go to them. I'm sure they have some issue. Oh, I'm sorry, your wife died? Would you like her to be alive again? How much are you going to pay me? Do you understand that when God gives people power, they can use that however they want? Jesus gives them the power and then gives them the the freedom to make a choice as to what to do with that. He tells them, you received without pay, give without pay. In other words, you serve people, don't look for anything in return for them. You serve people not because of what they'll give you. You serve people because of what Jesus has already given you. They could have been rich. They could have been the richest people in that area. I'm sure the the king, you know, let's go to King Herod. Let's go to somebody else. Let's go to any ruler and go, hey, what's your biggest problem? I can heal that. I can fix that and pay me. They could have been rich men. And instead, Jesus says, you're serving not for your own benefit. You're serving for the profit of other people. We must realize that all the time. Sometimes you'll serve somebody and you'll just go, okay, well, I didn't, you know, I, I don't... I don't feel wonderful about myself. I just, I just did what God told me to do. We're doing it because Jesus gave everything for us. Everything for us. 
You know, to that church in Thessalonica, this was also said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, and 6. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed. We weren't greedy. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We could have been like, hey, listen, you guys need to pay us. You guys need to acknowledge us. You need to recognize how amazing we are. No. We also need to realize wherever God sends us, He's going to provide for us. And sometimes the way He provides for us is kind of like what you see in your bulletins. It might be that little piece of paper, that insert, where you're just going, God, can you please provide for my family, for a meal this Thanksgiving? It'd be really nice to invite some people over and just, it's been a long time. And then you come to church and wouldn't you believe it? There it is. But you have a choice. Yeah, but I don't want to ask people for help. I just wanted it to airdrop from the sky, God. This is how God answers those prayers. And so then if you or I with pride go, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, you can't blame God for not providing for you. God provides in ways that, you know what it requires of us? Humility. God, I need, God, can you please help? God, you know I'm struggling. Can you please bring some help? And God does it, but it's going to require you to humble yourself. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you just turned away God's provision. You turned it away. You know, let God provide for you however he wants to provide for you. And as a Christian, know this, you're not supposed to be able to provide for every one of your needs. It's not designed that way. God has designed it that every person will at some point in their time be in a place of need. And you know what you're supposed to do when you're in a place of need? Ask for help. And when you're a person who has excess and you see somebody that's in a place of need, you know what your responsibility is to do? To help fill the gap. That's your responsibility. That's socialism. It's Christianity. God didn't give you more than you need for yourself. It's for others. I'm just so thankful that Jesus didn't hold everything to himself and go, you know what? I'm not going to give them my love. I'm not going to give them my peace. I'm not going to give them my joy. I'm going to keep it all for myself. He gave of himself. How much? He gave all the way to death. If we say we follow Jesus, how much should we give? How much should we serve other people? And so this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful because now when these apostles go into these communities, they're all going to be like, we're so glad you're here. We love you guys. Verse 11, Matthew chapter 10. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. In other words, who receives you and stay there until you depart. And as you enter, greet the house. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, they would walk into a town not having a place to stay. And they would just start to love people and share the good news with people. And the ones that would go, hey, that's great. How about you come to my house and stay this evening? That's how God provided places for them to stay. They had to trust God every step of the way. But you know, not everyone is going to listen to the words of the gospel and not everyone is going to receive the words of the gospel. If you share the good news with people enough, you're going to get people that are going to go, I don't want to hear that. Are you supposed to be surprised by that? No, because there's a parable in the Bible of a sower. And I think we have some images of this. The sower is a guy that throws seed out. He's throwing seed out and the seed ends up on four different types of soil. One ends up on the rocky ground. It doesn't ha- it can't take root and so it withers when the sun comes out. Some of the seed lands on the road and the birds pick it off. Some of the seed ends up 
amongst thorns and the thorns choke out what's growing. And only the seed that's in the good soil grows. And if you look at this, so we're looking at like 25% ends up being good. 75% ends up being choked out. But it's not our responsibility to figure out where we're throwing it. Jesus just says, tell everybody. It growing or not growing is not our responsibility. My responsibility this morning is to share the truth of what God's word says. What you do with that is not on me. If you receive it and accept it, you receive it and accept it. If you reject it and go, forget this garbage, you can do that. You're free. God will never take your freedom away. But my responsibility is to throw it out. Christian, your responsibility is to throw the seed out. What is the seed? The truth, the word of God. And it's important that you and I were faithful because you and I are going to have hard times as we tell people the truth. Not everybody wants to hear the truth. You have to be faithful over time. Well, I was faithful for like two days. I told like four people over two days. Faithfulness over two decades. Do that. Well, Jim, that seems like a long time. Really? Tell Jeremiah the prophet that. Jeremiah preached for year after year after year after year. And as far as we know, no one responded to him. But he was faithful to keep preaching. Somebody else who preached, this guy, it it may be hard for you to believe, he preached for 120 years. And the only people that responded to him, this guy was faithful. The only people that responded to him were seven other people that he was related to, his family. Everyone else rejected it. His name is Noah. And God instructed him to build an ark. And for 120 years, he was preaching. And everyone except eight people, Noah being one of them, received the news. Only seven other people and Noah ended up going into a boat and being saved from the consequence of the flood. We are called to be faithful even when it's challenging. And we have plenty of examples of that. Here's something else that I want to say to you as we are winding down. Do not be embarrassed to share the gospel. Do not be embarrassed to share the gospel. Paul told this to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Oh, look at this. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We've been given the power, the words that can have a person be right with God. But if you're going to share the gospel, you have to share the full gospel. Uh Uh-oh, what does that mean? Full gospel? What does that mean? Here's what I mean. If you're going to share the good news, you have to share the bad news. It's really nice to tell people, hey, listen, Jesus loved you. He came and he died for you. And if you'll just accept him... Um, You'll be saved and you'll be with him forever. Now, is that true? Those statements? Yes, that is true. But if somebody who's not a believer hears that, they should ask the next logical question, which is, wait, why do I need Jesus? I'm not going to argue what you're saying about him being a nice guy. He seemed like he loved people and he seemed like he did a lot of great stuff here. But why do I need him? You keep pushing that I need Jesus. See, if we only share that Jesus came to die for people, but we don't tell them why they need Jesus, we're not telling them the whole story. Oh, wait a second. So you've got to tell them the, good, the bad news before you tell them the good news. Yeah, bad news? Here's the bad news. You're spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead, separated from God. Your sins, your offenses against God have separated you from Him. That's the bad news. Well, I'll work my way to be right with God. You can't. Oh, this is really bad news. 
What does that mean when I die? When you die, you will be separated from God forever. Okay, that's horrible news. But here's the gospel. The good news is this. The good news is that God sent his son to take your place. God sent his son so that you can be right with God. The thing you can't do by yourself, God sent his son, the good news, the gospel, so the gap is closed, you are right with God. And when you close your eyes in the last moment of your life and you take your last breath, you will open them up and be in the presence of God. If you're not a believer, I want to tell you this. And, and obviously, like th- this is not to scare anybody. It would be irresponsible though if I didn't tell you this. Everything good and beautiful that we see in this world, it's a fallen world. It's not perfect. We all get it. But even if you see like uh, the beautiful sunset, a glimmer of hope, the way a tree is growing, the laugh of a child, anything good, anything lovely, anything wonderful in this life, it all comes from God. What does this mean? Think this through with me. If you are separated from God and you say, I don't want anything to do with God, I don't, pride kicks in and you're not humble and you're like, forget it, I'm good, I can fix myself. You're lying to yourself, but you will realize the consequence of it and your last breath when everything good and lovely that you've ever seen in this fallen world, it won't exist forever for you. Forever. God doesn't want a person to end up there. So what did he do? Because he loves everyone, he sent his son. If a person rejects Jesus, they choose to be separated from God. If you're not a believer, I just want to encourage you to consider the words that I've just said because of what I've just told you is the gospel. In the last two verses here, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, if anybody will not receive you or receive your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And what I mean is, and what Jesus is saying there is there's consequences for those who hear the gospel and reject it. What does Jesus tell the person who's telling the gospel? Because it can be discouraging when you tell people this amazing truth and people just go, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want it. Or they are, or they're, they are angry towards you. You know what Jesus tells us, tells us to do here? He says, shake the dust off from your feet. They had sandals. Take off your sandals, shake off the dust. And it's like, wait, did they get a lot of dust in their sandals? It's more a symbolic gesture. Like, listen, I just want you to know I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to keep moving. We have so many phrases in our American culture here, but that, ha- that idea of, hey, shake it off and keep going, I wonder where it came from. The earliest reference that I could see it is right here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. And it was Jesus talking about the gospel. When people don't receive it, shake it off and keep moving because there's another person that needs to hear the gospel as well. If you can hear and understand the words that I've said this morning, you are accountable for the words that I've said this morning. You're accountable, here's what I mean, you're accountable for whatever decision you make with what I've just said. I'm not accountable, I've done what I was called to do. You're accountable to do whatever you're going to do with those words. And if you're a Christian here and you haven't been taking the gospel with you, you're accountable to take the gospel with you. You've been entrusted. So how about you start doing that today? And you don't stop. You do it for the rest of your life, wherever you find yourself. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we pray here. As we're here this morning and you've heard these words, someone in the sound of my voice, whether here 
in this building or listening on the radio or listening over the internet, you may have come to this realization that you've never humbled yourself before God. You've never humbled yourself and said, God, I can't do it. God, I can't fix me. God, I can't fix my eternity. And you realize that you have to humble yourself and come before God and you want to. You're done trying to do it in your own strength. You're done trying to do it in your own wisdom. If that's where you're at, all you have to do is ask Jesus to be your Savior. You know the bad news already. Now you can accept the good news. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, you can pray a prayer like this to God. You can pray it right from your heart, right to Him. He hears you. He's always known you. God, I need you. God, I can't do this myself. I need Jesus. I humble myself before you, Jesus. I accept you as my Savior because I need saving. I accept you as my King because I need to be led. And I ask you to forgive me of every wrong that I've done against you. Forgive me for every time I've trespassed against your word. Forgive me for every time that I have offended you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to forgive me of sins. Come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. Make me the person you want me to be. And help me be someone who brings hope and joy and the gospel to the people around me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for making me a Christian. In Jesus' name. We have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just another minute. If you prayed that prayer, I'm surely not going to embarrass you. But if you could just raise your hand just so I could see if there's anybody here this morning. I see your hand. I see your hand. Is there anyone else this morning? You can put your hands down. Father, we pray for our brothers here. If there's anybody else that I missed, Lord, for them as well. And we pray for anybody on the radio or on the internet as well. We pray for them that God, from this day forward, they would feel the power of your Holy Spirit leading them and guiding them in your path. God, use them to tell other people the good news. And God, bring people alongside them so that they don't have to go alone because Jesus, you don't want them to go alone. We thank you for the work you've done today and we thank you that the work is not going to stop. There's plenty of work to be done. Give us eyes to see the people right around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, church, we're not going to close in a song this morning, but what I would ask you to do is, um, if you'd like some prayer, there'll be a few of us standing over here. You can come over and uh, receive some prayer. Be an encouragement and a blessing. We live in a town of people that are hurting and more people are coming. Love them and serve them. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.